What an amazing job leading us into the presence of God. Well, good morning. Can we just lift up our hands? God, we know that you have something for us right now. And with every hand raised this morning, as a sign of surrender to you, we, we lay down our expectations, we lay down our goals, our plans, what we want. And we ask, Holy Spirit, in this moment that you would deposit something in us that the enemy can't touch, steal, rob, destroy, or come against. We need your word this morning to encourage us. We need to be refreshed this morning. We lift up every life situation that families are facing right now. And we bring them before a God who already sees the end result, who's not surprised by things that happen. And we lift every circumstance before the King of Kings. We ask you, God, this morning that through your word, we would be strengthened and encouraged by what you want to do and what you want to speak. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Kelly, Kelly, I'm going to have you and Angelia just, the Lord spoke something to me a while ago, and I just want to pray it over you guys. And so as, as God's spirit is moving and stuff, I want you guys to just keep agreeing with prayer. Amen. And just keep praising God for what he's about to do and what he's about to speak. But there's a scripture, Kelly, found. It says this in verse 4. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. And the Lord gave me that scripture. And what he showed me is there are things that happen in our lives that we have no control over. And the Lord just showed me Angelia and showed me that there's things that happened in her life that she was not in control of that the enemy has tried to get a hold of and and has a blueprint. He literally has blueprints to use it for later use. But I feel like the Lord this morning in 2 Samuel 9, 7, after Jonathan had passed away, it said in verse 7, and David said to them, do not fear for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And he was speaking this to Mephibosheth. So, and then he said this, and I will restore to you all the land of, your, of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And the Lord showed me that the kindness that you have shown, do not underestimate it. You have shown a kindness that comes from Jesus. And we all think of kindness just saying good words, but this is something that you have done that is so deep. And I just feel like God wants you to know that he's going to provide, not just provide, but he's going to restore the things that the enemy tried to take from the situations that she's gone through. And the kindness that you showed her, that she's seen in you, she's seen Jesus in that. And so we're going to lay hands. Church, can we just extend hands forward? Angeli, do you mind if we pray for you? So we're, just extend your hands forward, or we're going to lay hands on her. Let's pray that you would fill, God, fill this young woman, God, from the top of her head to the soles of her feet. Lord, we rebuke and we break every contract, every blueprint, everything that the enemy has tried to plan to use for evil, things out of our control, we take that out of his hands right now. And we tell him he can no longer use them in the name of Jesus. We tear it down, we break it, we tear it, we burn it, we dissolve it in the name of Jesus. And we pray, God, that you would restore to her, oh God. Restore to her what the enemy has tried to take, oh God. We pray, God, for Brother Kelly and his family, God. Lord, that you would not just provide but Lord, as David said, that 
Mephibosheth would always eat at the king's table. There would always be provision, God. And it wasn't just common food, it was things above and beyond. And I just pray, God, that you would anoint Kelly, God, to speak your words in truth. Lord, he's done it in deed and action. But God, I pray that you would anoint, God, anoint this family moving forward, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray, God, that there would be testimonies of gifts, things coming in, God, that would provide and go above and beyond. Schooling, school bills, whatever it may be, oh God. Outfits, God, there would be money. Just a, a, the, a, the spigot of heaven is going to be turned on and pour over this family, God. And I just pray that it would walk in it. Lord, that your kindness is what leads us to repentance, God. And we never underestimate what a kind word and a kind deed can do. Anoint them right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen, 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 amen. Kalechi, are you here? Could you come up with um, Michael? just want to pray for you. The Lord gave me a scripture a while back. In church, let's just continue to praise God. Keep the atmosphere. Extend your hands as we pray. The Lord showed me this. 1 Samuel 2, 18 through 19. Samuel was ministering before the Lord. And there was a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And the Lord showed me something about this robe. Usually when a priest, a high priest, was given this ephod, he was already grown, so he didn't have to keep changing outfits. But there was something different. She had to keep making a different robe because there was growth. Samuel was anointed at a young age. And so he continued to grow into this ephod. He outgrew it each year. And this speaks of expansion, maturity, and growth. And the Lord said that, you ha- the, the adult priest staying in the robe because of a certain age, you stop growing. But there's continued growth in what you have done and what you have spoken over your children, specifically over Michael. And it says, you have prepared him and God will continue to anoint you to prepare him in the stages of his life until adulthood. And I know there are seasons of difficulty, there are seasons of frustration, but he has anointed this boy right here. He has anointed you and there's growth in you. You know that, Michael? And you've, you've sensed it? But I feel like the enemy has just tried to put a, almost like a wet blanket on you, on your family, to kind of just bring discouragement. And God's going to take that off. So if you just lift your hands, we're going to pray. The anointing of the Holy Spirit over this family. We thank you, God, that you grow with us. You have anointed this young man. And God, we pray right now, fresh oil to be poured out on him. Fresh oil to be poured out on Kletchi right now, God. By the power of blood and the authority of Jesus Christ, fresh oil from heaven. Lord, that every word that she speaks, every scripture that she speaks over her children, God, that you would even, as she even prays in her spiritual language, God, that you're going to begin to break things off that the enemy has, has had in their home right now, God. There are strongholds that he's tried to set up. They haven't been all the way constructed, and I see it right now. It's, like, it's almost like a foundation the enemy's tried to, to build, and God's going to just break that. That's, take a sledgehammer and break that. Every prayer that you pray, every word that you pray moving forward is going to break apart that foundation and God is going to continue to build what he started before this young man was conceived. And God, we pray, Father, that you would use him as a light, oh God. Fill him with your spirit, oh God. Give him your word, God. 
Lord, let him speak over his friends, oh God. We just pray that you would give him that. Even what, what John the Baptist had, he was prepared in the secret place, God. And he came out and was an impact to that region, to that nation, oh God. And I pray for my God in his times with you, God, that he would encounter the living God. Lord, that you would fill him with your spirit, God. That the fire of God would come on him and anoint him, oh God. That you would not allow friends, you would not allow circumstances to extinguish that flame. And Lord, that ephod that is given to him each year, is, he's going to grow. Maturity is going to come upon him, God. And there are going to be stages of growth, stages of maturity as he clings to you, God. Anoint this family, God. We cast down every, every stronghold around their property line, Lord, spiritually in the name of Jesus. We pray that your fire would fall on them, God. Lord, that you would encourage and strengthen them this morning. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen, amen, amen. God's word is so powerful, isn't it? And he's speaking this morning. I want to, we don't have a whole lot of time, but I would like us to jump into um, Luke chapter 1. And we're going to be talking about this idea of the birth of revival. And how many of you know we've been praying for revival in our nation and in our church? How many of you know we are already seeing it? It's almost like we have to stop praying for it and we just have to start walking in it. We have to start allowing the Holy Spirit to adjust and tweak things in our lives so that we can move in it. This morning, we took some time here at the altar to pray, and I'm sure there were some faces who came in and were like, well, this doesn't make sense. We always have prayer in the cafe, and well, we shifted things up a little bit because we want to break that routine, amen? Sometimes we have to shift our routine. Sometimes we have to move our seats and sit around different people so that the routine can't keep us bound to what God wants to do, amen? And so this morning with this idea of the birth of revival, I want you to know that we pray for revival and God's not up in heaven twiddling his thumbs waiting to see how loud we pray and waiting to see how much we pray. God has already set it into action for revivals to happen. Since the beginning of time till now, every move of God that has happened, God has done because there were people who were hungry for it. There were people who are moving towards it, amen? And so even when it doesn't look like it, even when it doesn't seem like God can move, when we look at our nation, we look at the things that are happening, it's like, how can God move when there's so much chaos and so much darkness in our culture? God has already birthed a move of God, and it's already beginning in our nation. And the Lord this morning wants to look at the hearts of each one of us and say, are we positioning ourselves? Are we moving towards it? Are we doing things in our lives that are gonna open up our ears and open up our minds to hear what God is speaking, amen? Luke chapter one, verse 17 is gonna be the framework. I'm also gonna read verse 16, and then we're gonna jump back. But Luke one, chapter one, verse 16, and this is in reference to John the Baptist. And I believe that John the Baptist was used in a mighty way to bring revival to the region. And so before John was born, even before he was born, God had already birthed something. He had already began a plan of action in that move of God. And so in verse 16 it says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children of God. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Amen? 
And the Lord began showing me about this birth of revival that was about to happen in this area. If we look at this verse, we see different words, and if we break them down, it changes the whole meaning of the text, meaning we understand what God is trying to speak through this. And so it says, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. That word spirit means a current or blast of air. And when it says power, it literally means force or miraculous power or ability and strength. So this, this boy, isn't it amazing that even babies can change things? Amen? Amen? That God wants to use young children to bring about his purposes. Amen? And I believe that God is going to anoint children. He's going to anoint young kids and teens and, and, and bring back young adults. who God And God is doing that. We're seeing it across our nation. We're seeing it in universities. And so we have this wording where it says, and he will go before him in the spirit, meaning this this blast, this force of miraculous power and ability and strength to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. This speaks of restoration. How many of you know that we need families to be restored? Amen? That the enemy has come against families in such a massive way. There's so much fragmented and broken things in families, but God can heal and redeem and bring back any situation. Amen? He can do it in your family. He's done it in mine. I've seen him do it before, and I know I will see him do it again. And so what this this revival was going to do is it was going to bring back the children, the fathers and the children, and reunite them. And then it goes on to say, listen to this, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Do you know what disobedient means? It literally means the unpersuadable. We all have people in our lives that we've written off and said, I can no longer persuade them of the things of God. I have prayed for them. I have hoped for them. I have given them every scripture, every argument that I can think of, and their hearts remain hardened. But when revival comes to our nation, when it comes to our community, it turns the hearts of those who are unpersuadable. And listen to this. It turns the unpersuadable to, and the word wisdom means intellectual or moral insight. That means those who you have been praying over who are not persuadable anymore, there's something off with their moral compass. How many of you know as we look at our world, we see something off in the moral compass of people? And I'm not just talking about young, I'm talking about the old generation as well. If you look at our nation and you look at the standards that we have, there is something that is off in the moral compass of our minds. And this revival is going to change the hearts of those who are unpersuadable and it's going to open them up and they're going to come back to the moral compass that God has originally designed. Amen? And then it goes on to say, to the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This, as I looked in a commentary, this is drawn from the oriental custom of sending on before kings on their journeys, persons to level the roads and make passable to prepare the minds of men to give the Messiah a fit reception and secure in his blessing. So this mindset of to prepare the way of the Lord is people would go ahead of the kings and they would make smooth any areas that were a hindrance. Any bumps, any valleys that would be filled in, any mountains would be laid low so that when the king walked in, there would be nothing hindering him. Isn't that amazing? And that's what God does in revival. He prepares us. He, prepa- he removes all of the obstacles that the enemy has thrown in the path to try and hinder every move of God. And in John was birthed this move that was going to come from his ministry and eventually would prepare the way for the Messiah. Amen? 
And so this morning, there's three different things that we're going to look at. It's the birth of revival, it's the effects of revival, and it's the attitude of revival. We have to understand that when revival breaks out, it doesn't just happen at the snap of a finger. There are things that God has moved into position, people that he has moved into position, and things are happening underneath the surface that we're not aware of. And then when that revival breaks out, God moves and does what he wants to do, no matter what the enemy has to say. Amen? If we jump back to verse 6 of Luke 1. It's talking about John's mom and dad. We see Zechariah and we see Elizabeth. And it says, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But look at this. So John was going to bring out this revival, right? But there was one problem before John was born. His mother was barren. How many of you know that's a problem? If you're barren, you can't have children. If you're barren, that word barren in the Greek is, uh, or in the Hebrew is steros. And what that means, it's where we get the word sterile. It means hard or it means stiff. And so what the Lord was showing me, as it says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. So there were two things operating against them in the natural, right? That was going to bring forth this revival. And sometimes what we do with re revivals, we tell God when he needs to have it right? We look at our world, we look at what's happening, we say, God, if you don't move right now, then something's going to happen. What we do is we put, we put our mindset on a time frame. And so here, Elizabeth had two things against her. She couldn't have kids, and now she was, she was um, advanced in years. And I did some research on families and women back in the Bible days, and women would actually start having children at age 12, how many parents in you can say, thank you, God, that that no longer is a custom, and that happens in our world? But in the Bible days, that's what it was known for. They could start having children at 12, 13, and 14. And so when a girl turned a certain age, the culture knew that this was the time for children to come forth, and Elizabeth couldn't do it. Children weren't coming forth because of this thing inside of her. And then it got to a point where I don't know what the age is where you stop having. But how many women know in here that there are doctors that say around this age is usually when you can no longer have children. So no matter what reports tell us, God was going to bring forth this revival, this man, even though the eyes of man was looking at a situation that was impossible. And the Lord showed me as I read that, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. God stands back and sees a bigger picture. We say, God, it must happen in this time and, and there are certain qualities and things that aren't in line so it can't happen, but God stands back and says, I don't care if the reports say that she's sterile. I don't care that if she's beyond and advanced in years. I am bringing forth a man who I am going to fill with the spirit before he's conceived and this man is gonna usher in a revival like never seen before which will eventually usher in the messianic age of Jesus Christ. God looks at situations and he's not scared. He's not fretting. He sees it through his eyes. And so some of you in here, you've been praying for God to move. You've been praying for God to shift and do things. And God is saying, stop looking at it in your eyes. Look and see what I am doing. I am doing something that you cannot see. And God began to put a, a seed in her. And John the Baptist came forward and began to preach repentance out of the wilderness. And that's because God 
God has the ability to move beyond the physical and see something bigger. Amen? People needed a touch from God, and God did it even in an impossible situation. What I love how it goes on to say is, now while he was serving, so this is Zechariah, he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood. So these priests would get chosen to do duties in the temple. And one of the most prestigious, one of the most amazing things you could do is be the one who gets to go and light the incense. They said that in the time of Jesus, there were over 20,000 priests. How many of you know that's a lot of priests? And they said they would actually have to cast lots for duties in the temple. Isn't that amazing? I wish we could cast lots at victory for people to serve and do different things. But in the Bible days, these priests wanted this opportunity. And they said, whoever got to light the incense, it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And guess who that lot fell on? It fell on Zechariah. And he had no idea what was about to happen. And it says that he would go in and, and there would be three priests and the two, the, all three of them would go in into the outer sanctuary and two of them would begin to light and get ready the coals. And what the people would do is they would come early in the morning and they would stand outside the, the, the temple and they would wait. And when the two priests would come out, that was a sign that the priest was about to go into the most holy place. And they would begin to kneel and they would begin to pray. And so Zechariah walks in thinking, I just got to do this, not mess this up. How many know if you were in his position, I'd be praying, God, don't let this thing go out. Don't let me mess up. There's everyone is waiting on the outside. But he goes in, and I love that he has an, an encounter with God. It says that God sent an angel. And I love that it says in verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer. Everybody say your prayer. As a priest, he is bringing in the prayers of a nation. And sometimes in our serving, we think that we can't bring our individual needs before God. We think that we have to have these big prayer requests, elaborate prayer requests on everybody else. But how many of you know God knows what's really in your heart? God knew what Zachariah and Elizabeth wanted, and it was a son. And I love that the angel said to him, your prayers have been answered. God sees what is in your heart, the things that you have been praying for. And he goes on to say, and you will have joy and gladness. Why? Because in the previous verse, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth, who was barren and well advanced beyond years, will have a son and you are to name him John. In the birth of a revival, when God is about to do something, one of the things that comes from revival is joy and gladness for us. There is a joy knowing that God wants to revive us. There's a joy knowing that God knows the prayer requests that are in our heart, the deep things that we don't tell other people, the things that we want to see God do in our own lives. When we step into the presence of God, he sees it and he speaks to it. And I want to encourage you, when revival comes, there was a, um, a set time. So when this priest would go into the Holy of Holies, they were supposed to come out again. And how many of you know, sometimes in our routines, we have an internal clock, right? Even in church, we say, okay, now it's time for offering. Okay, now it's time for the message. It said that he was in there for so long that the people began to get nervous. When revival is birthed, we have to break the internal clock in our mind. Even in our own personal time, many of us, some of you pray in the morning, some of you pray at night, maybe we need to add more time for God to begin to stir things in our spirit. 
There are times where, isn't it so hard sometimes to find time to be with the Lord? There are so many distractions and things that are hindering us. But what I've found is when we, when we push all things aside, when we say, I'm not going to watch that show tonight. Instead, I'm going to let my time with the Lord overlap. It's like God shows up and he begins to speak. And all of a sudden, five minutes becomes a half hour. A half hour becomes an hour. And that's the place to be. In the rebirth of revival, the internal clock in our mind, we've got to throw it out the window. I'm not saying we need to be here for weeks and weeks and weeks. If God does that, then so be it. But we have to get out of that routine where we're sitting there watching the clock. These people were sitting there saying, wait a second, the last time this happened, the priest came out this time. The time before that, the priest. Now this is taking a little bit longer. How many of you know if the priest is having an encounter with God in there, then we'll wait to see what's going to happen. God was birthing a revival that was going to come through Zechariah into Elizabeth and was going to change the nation. Amen? It goes on to say in verse 14, and, they will have, and you will have joy and gladness. So that's for the people. And look at this. And many will rejoice at his birth. So there's a joy and gladness that we can have in the presence of God. But how many of you know when we come out that there's a joy and gladness for the people as well? When God moves in your heart, when you encounter God, the people in your workplaces will see a joy in your life. They'll see something in you, and they're going to want a piece of it. And God will use you in that place. You can bring revival in your workplaces. When God brings revival here, it's not just for victory. It's so that it overflows and goes into the workplaces, into the different areas around us. Amen? There's a joy and a gladness to be experienced when God births revival. It goes on to say in verse 15, for he will be a great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink. This speaks of a consecration. When God is moving, we have to protect. We have to steward the move of God. Amen? There's a consecration in the life of John that happened. We can't take lightly the things that God wants to do. Amen? Can I pray for your son? Can I pray for you? Let's just extend our hands. The Spirit of God was on him during the worship, and we just want to pray. Heavenly Father, we pray. And what's his first name? Sean. Sean. Father, we lift up Sean right now before you. We thank you, Lord, that you have placed something in him, even that he's not aware of. But God, you have placed something in him, and we pray right now that you would bring into fruition the seed, the word that you have placed and spoken over his life. God, that you are going to use him even in his school, God. Lord, that his friends are going to see a difference. God, that he's going to, you're going to give him understanding into deeper things and into your word. God, I pray that you would give him dreams and visions, God, that you would show him things, God. And even for his mom, give him her interpretations, God, for those things, scriptures, God, that would come into alignment and bring understanding to situations. Father, we pray for the spirit of God to move on his behalf, God. Wherever he goes, every, the grocery store, cashiers, they'll look at him and see a difference in him, God. People on the street are going to look at him. His teachers are going to look at him and see there's a difference in him. God, let your glory move and reflect over him in his life, God. And Lord, may he have a hunger for that secret place right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you, God. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And the verse continues to say, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. This was a miracle. It's the first time we're seeing a, someone being filled with the Holy Spirit before they're even born. Why? Because there was something important. God was birthing a revival in this man, John the Baptist. And how many of you know God is serious for the things of God? 
And then we go into the verse that we just read. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit. Remember the blast of air? In the spirit and power, that miraculous power, that work to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, to restore families and make the disobedient or the unpersuadable. Some of you in here might be unpersuadable in the things of God. I have a brother who grew up in the things of God and I have had many of arguments, Tara has heard us from the living room, arguing about the things of God where I've tried to argue him back into the kingdom of God. How many of you know it's sometimes impossible to argue people back into the kingdom of God? But you know what revival does? It takes those who are unpersuadable. I've marked people in my family as I can't persuade them anymore. And that's okay because it has to be the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Amen? When revival comes, he's going to bring back those who are unpersuadable. And he will fix the moral compass that is off in their mind. Amen? That's what revival does. Can we jump to Matthew Got to move through this. Time just goes so fast, doesn't it? God births revival in impossible situations in the natural. But did you know that there are actual effects of the revival? When revival comes, it affects us. Tara and I were listening to... uh, uh, pastor last night, and he was talking about a, a great revival that happened many years ago. And it said that the revivals would go so late that people would get out and they would go to the, the uh, International House of Pancakes. So they would have, I think what they said, 8,000 people were coming to the revival. And how many know when church gets out and 8,000 people get out and they're hungry? It said that every International House of Pancakes was filled with church people. And so this pastor had to drive 40 minutes to another International House of Pancakes just to try and get some food. And they said when they walked in, waitresses were slain in the spirit and speaking in tongues. They were weeping because of this move of God in the area. How many of you want to see a move of God like that in our area? God is birthing something in this area. And we have to continue hungering for it and asking God, how, do, how can we prepare ourselves for that? What are things that you have to adjust in my life? Revival affects not just us, it affects our region. It affects the businesses. And so if we jump to Matthew chapter 3, I want to read a few verses and just show you what happened when John actually came on the scene. In those days, so chapter 3 of Matthew, verse 1, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And listen to this. Now John wore a a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and honey. And look at this. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Many of us, myself included, we've overlooked this part of the scripture. This was one of the greatest revivals. John the Baptist didn't get a book named after him. We don't know much about his life because most of it was hidden away and tucked away. But what we do know is he came out in power. He came out in authority. And we don't realize that thousands and thousands of people were flocking to him. 
when God births something in you, when we have the power of God, the fire of God in us, people are drawn to it. Amen? And sometimes our pride can get in the way. You know what I'm saying? When we get that raise, when we get that compliment, what's the first thing it does is it goes right to our head. I remember when I was in high school, we would uh, play basketball, and my coach did a terrible thing. He showed us a, 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 docu- a video of Michael Jordan highlights. And so what we did is we started doing Michael Jordan moves in our next basketball game. So we're doing unnecessary things. None of us could dunk. None of us could do up and unders. I remember one time I went what should have been a routine layup, and I tried to do this up and under, and I threw it up so hard it hit the bottom of the wearing and went out of bounds. And my coach is standing there saying, what in the world? We ran so much that last practice, it wasn't even funny. But sometimes things can go to our head. But the effects of revival, we have to prepare our hearts. John knew that it wasn't him. The enemy wants to destroy us by when the fire of God comes on us to take credit, to think that we've done something. But how many of you know it's not what we do? It's God's right to pour his spirit out on us. Amen? It goes on to say, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But look at this. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I was talking to a pastor friend of mine who said that um, they knew of a person who went to the revival at Asbury. Remember at that college, the revival broke out? And they wanted to go, but they had never been in church. They, they don't follow the Lord. They don't serve. They don't give. So they went to this revival, and they took selfies of themselves, posting it that I'm at the revival. And then they went back home, and nothing changed. They didn't get connected with the local body. They didn't serve. They didn't do anything. Just because a revival is happening doesn't mean that everybody's getting revived. And John could perceive who was coming for the genuine real change from God, but he also knew those who were coming just to criticize and just to spectate. And I love that he called them out. He looked at him and he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And then he said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. There's fruit that comes from our lives, amen? When we repent, we don't just come to the altar and we say, God, I, I want to repent and change. When we turn around and we leave, there's things that should change in our lives. We aren't called to judge people, but when we repent of our sins, that's just the first step. We need the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit to come on us so that we can go back to our lives and remove the things that were keeping us from repenting in the first place. And that's what God wants to do. We can look at people's lives and we can see fruit of repentance. Amen? And John looked at these people. There was something in his spirit. As he's literally baptizing people, thousands of people, he sees this group coming and he sees there's a different spirit in there. And he sees they're here just to criticize. And he calls out their action. He goes on to say, listen to this, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Don't presume to say, I grew up in the church. I went to Sunday school. I know all the stories. We don't have that right. It's the fruit of our lives should show repentance. I grew up in the church and I lived that lie. I was living a different life than what I was showing in the church. 
There wasn't fruit of it. It was easy to kind of mirage it and, and, and show the church that, oh, I can teach Sunday school. I can do all these things. But my lifestyle didn't match what I was doing. And the Holy Spirit finally got a hold of me. It wasn't condemnation, but it was a turnaround in my life. How many of you know that is what sparks revival? When we, God puts his finger on the things in our lives and we do something about it. We don't just put our coats on when you hear the pastor closing and we get out of here and wonder where we're going to go eat. There's a different mindset that affects the revival. It's God is putting his finger on something in my life and I need to get in that place of repentance and turn it around. And that's what John was doing. This massive revival of people calling out their sins. This was a miraculous move of God. And then John said these things that really shook me as I read it. He says, even now, the ax is laid to the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. How many of you know I like sermon illustrations? So I went to Home Depot and I, I got an ax. <laughs> right here. Isn't this awesome? And no, as I, was, as I was praying and preparing for this, the commentary said that what a woodsman would do to cut down a tree is he would walk through the forest and he would look. And he'd see a tree. And what he would do, he wouldn't cut it down right away. He would take his axe and he would lay it at the root of the tree. And then what he would do is he would take his garment off. Because if he was wearing a heavy coat and he's swinging at this tree, that heavy coat was going to hinder him from having the force needed to cut it down. That sign of that axe was that this tree was coming down. The effects of revival in our lives, there are things that need to be cut down. And at the end of service, we're going to open up these altars and we're going to lay the axe at the root of the issues that need to be cut out in our lives. And what is going to come from that is gonna be a massive change, not just in your own life, but in your family, in your workplace. How many of you wanna see revival? And lastly, he says this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. We talked about the birth of revival. We talked about the effects of revival. But there's an attitude of revival that must come. Me and my teammates, we all thought we were Michael Jordan. I think we lost the game and we had to run a lot because we weren't Michael Jordan. We let it go right to our heads. There's an attitude of revival that comes when God moves. And if I was John, and if I was not prepared, I would think that I'm something as I'm baptizing hundreds and even thousands of people. But you know what his attitude was? And this is the most important part of revival. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Disciples in that day had mentors and they would serve them. But did you know that the disciple would not even carry the sandals of his mentor? Because that was a low task. They, weren't, they, they, they said, we're not, that's, that's not something we do. 
and John, who Jesus said is the greatest among men, said, one is coming after me whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. He had a humility in his life that allowed him to carry this revival and this move of God in that region. We need to get into the presence of God and develop a humility. God wants to use you. And when he does, the enemy's gonna come and like a thief and try and swell your head up to think it's something that you brought. And what that can do is that can suck the effects of the revival right out of the room. But God wants to use each and every one of us. And so we have to develop humility, amen? Amen. Humility is a very hard thing. What is it that Muhammad Ali always said? I'll show you how great I am. Humility is what brings forth revival. I'm gonna lift your hands. I just wanna pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord has given you an authority. He's given you giftings. It says in the scriptures that when they built the tabernacle, it says that the Lord put a spirit of skill in people to do certain things. And the Lord has put a spirit of skill in you to do certain things. And he's calling you. He's calling you back to that secret place. Holy Spirit, just begin to speak to him in that secret place. I pray that you would revive him, God. Revive their family, God. Bring them to the place, God, where you can use them for mighty things. Anoint them, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. Can we stand together? We know we're a little bit over time. But how many of you know that's okay? Can I read one more story? birth of revival, the effects of revival, and the attitude of revival is crucial. But you know what else comes with revival? Signs and wonders, the working of miracles, healings. As a youth group, we are doing a series on the spiritual gifts. You know what's awesome? The Holy Spirit gives nine gifts to his people, and we get to operate in those gifts, and it brings about the glory of God. I'm reading a book. I read a book by Ted Shuttlesworth called The Camels Are Coming, and it's on these nine gifts, and he breaks it down into three categories. He said there are three gifts that help us to act like God. These are the power gifts, the gift of faith, the working of miracles, and the gift of healings. There are three gifts that help us to think like God. These are the gifts of revelation, discerning the spirits, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. And there are three gifts that help us to speak like God. These are the gifts of utterance, tongues, prophecy, interpretation of tongues. These are gifts that God has given to his people that he wants to operate in. And these are the things that come with revival. And so I want to read a story and then I want to pray over you and we're going to open up these altars. And if you feel like, you know what, I need to get into that place. I need to put the ax at the root of things in my life that are keeping me from experiencing all that God has for me. Then we're going to give you opportunity to do that. But I want to read this story. This was in the book that I read by Ted Shuttlesworth. He said, the gifts of the spirit were given to bring us to the place where the glory of God outshines the darkness of this world. When I traveled with Brother Shambach, many times I heard him tell the story of how God healed the boy with 26 diseases. 
Brother Schambach worked with evangelist A.A. A. Allen in the 1950s, and they were holding a crusade in the fairground auditorium of Birmingham, Alabama. He told us, God opened the veil and let me see into the future. A woman from Tennessee drove to the crusade with her friend. She brought her little four-year-old boy who needed 26 miracles. Brother Schambach preached faith in the day service and then gave out prayer cards for those who needed, to pray, needed prayer. Brother Allen would call out the cards at night and pray for the people, and she came to Brother Schambach and said, I'm running out of money. I only have $20 left. She had been staying at a motel, eating at diners, and giving offerings in every meeting. Brother Allen had not called her card, and she was upset. She did not want to leave without Brother Allen praying for her boy. So Brother Schambach said, I will personally take your child to the man of God's trailer if he does not pray for your child tonight. That night, Brother Allen bounced out on the stage and said, I am going to receive an offering of faith. Brother Schambach said that he had never heard those words before, and the people looked puzzled. And Brother Allen explained, an offering of faith is when you give God something you can't afford to give. If you give what you think you can afford, there's no faith in it. So when the people came down to give, Brother Schambach saw that the woman had come and put something in the bucket. He jumped off the platform and looked into the bucket, and there was her $20 bill. He said he went behind the platform and wept. The woman's faith stirred him. He came back out and heard Brother Allen say, I am being carried away in the spirit. I see a large white building. Brother Schambach said that he was, he was a little hardened to it because he had seen Brother Allen do this before. It was how God used him. So Brother Allen said this, I hear babies crying. There are 12 doctors standing around a baby. That baby has 26 diseases. They are saying the child will not even live to be one years old. Now I see a woman leaving Knoxville in a Ford. She is crossing the Tennessee-Alabama border and driving on the grounds. That child is here tonight. Bring him down here. Tonight God is going to give him 26 miracles. Brother Schambach told us that he shouted, Tonight is that baby's night. The child had many problems. He had no male organs. He was blind. He was deaf. He was dumb. His tongue hung out of his mouth and lay on his chin. His arms and legs were twisted and his elbows were attached to his tummy. His knees touched the elbows and he had club feet. His spine was twisted and he had lung and heart trouble. Brother Allen asked everyone to bow their heads and pray, but Brother Schambach said, I kept my eyes open. And when Brother Allen started walking with that child, Schambach followed him, and suddenly the tongue snapped like a rubber band back into his mouth. The two eyes were covered with a white milky substance and started swirling like whirlpools, and two blue eyes appeared. Both arms and legs snapped free, and his club feet straightened and became normal. Then, like a sergeant, the spirit moved on the 12 wheelchairs to the left. The crippled folks and all of them stood up at the same time. Then, like a maestro conducting an orchestra, the crowd's eyes went to the right side of the tent where the stretchers were, and everybody stood up completely healed. People started streaming down the aisles and threw hearing aids, glasses, canes, crutches, and walkers on the platform. Women lost weight as tumors disappeared from their bodies. Brother Schambach prophesied that no man will take glory for what God is going to do in this last move. He encouraged us that in the last days, the body of Christ will be healed, and no one would be sick. He said, God opened Open the veil to let me see the future. And he said, I believe the day is coming when the body of Christ will step into his greatest glory Then the gifts of the Spirit will remove all sicknesses and diseases from the church. And we will have a testimony. Amen. Let's lift up our hands. We're going to pray. If you need to go, go. But if you feel 
Like, I need to take that axe and I need to lay it at the root of the things that are holding me back from my family, from seeing a move of God. These altars are going to be open and we want to lay hands and we want to pray for you. And we want to see God fill you with his spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray right now in the name of the Father, by the power of blood and the authority of Jesus, we pray that you would give us a hunger for revival, that you would birth something in our spirit, oh God. Birth something in our spirit. Even when the natural eyes can't see it, oh God, you would give us a hope for a revival. And God, that you would show us the effects of revival. We want to see our families affected. We want to see those who are unpersuadable to come back. We want to see you restore the moral compass of those we've been praying for, oh God. And Lord, we want to see what the attitude of revival is supposed to be. I pray that in that secret place, as John the Baptist was tucked away and hidden and learned how to put everything before you, oh God, that we would have the attitude of revival when it comes, oh God can linger, that we can properly steward it. And God, I pray for those who are in need of physical healing, those who are in need of, of putting this ax, God, at the feet of things that the enemy has built up that has refused for them to see and walk in freedom. We pray that that would be broken this morning in the name of Jesus. And Father, we pray, Lord, for a mantle to be put on us, God, that we would stop praying for revival. We would stop comparing past revivals and we would start living in it, oh God, that our actions would turn towards it, God, our mindsets would turn towards it, God, that we would break the internal clock in our mind off, oh God, so that we can hear from you, that we can hear what you want to speak to us, oh God. I know that prayers will be answered this morning, God, at this altar. People will be saved. People will be delivered this morning, oh God, because your word has gone out, God, and there's power in your word, oh God. We speak it and we seal it in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to count to, the, to three. And if you need prayer, if you need to get at these altars and you need prayer for, we are going to come and we're going to let God move. We're going to let God speak to you. On the count of three, one, two, three. If you need to be touched by God, if you need God to move in your life and to restore, God will do it this morning. God will move in your life. Get in that place with God and he will speak and he will move. Let's lay the axe at the root of every bad thing. And God, you will cut it out of our lives. We're going to see you move as you cut down things that are hindering us from experience a move of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you.